All right. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning back in to our episode with Christine Dobrocki. This half of the show, we're talking binge eating, dating in recovery, dating during a pandemic, trauma, suicide, policing, PTSD, diagnosis, self-awareness, exposure therapy. I mean, we get it on. If you haven't already, make sure you're listening to episode seven, which is the first part of this interview. Welcome to the Recovery Hour Podcast. Hello, can you hear me? Where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration. That was awesome. Hope. I cannot make this shit up. I can't do it. And triumph. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. Two bottles of wine, I would be in the emergency room. You're crazy, lady. No, that was just dinner. (laughs) We are proof that recovery does happen. Hell no. 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 No, no, no. Joy and laughter may be involved. (laughs) This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Yeah, boy. Okay. So God, 20 years. And that is a lot. That is dedication. How is that affecting you when it comes to not just relationships, but even just real life? Like, what are you doing for work? You, you threw in there that you were a police officer at one point. Yeah. You know, and I guess I could throw in a little bit of workaholism in there in my past. You know, I had this big vision of making over $100,000, taking all the overtime, being the super cop, right? So when I was an active officer, my binge eating was pretty under wraps because, again, I wanted to be that fit, hot female cop, right? Were you always interested in being a police officer or was that a random thing? Uh, So the story behind that was I went to university for health sciences, shocker, because, you know, I love the body and nutrition. And then it was in, it was in my last year of university that I temporarily dated an officer. And he would talk to me about how some of his days were. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to become a cop because I do become bored very easily. And to me at that time, I thought, oh, fitness, policing, kind of go hand in hand. You need to be fit to become a cop. And um, yeah, I just worked towards becoming a cop and it happened. So yeah. So that was your career. Yeah, it was. University for Health Science, dated a cop, became a cop. And then how long did that last? And so, and here you go with your under wraps, eating, body dysmorphia, that sort of business. And you're out there on the streets. Yeah. And you know what? what? I hit it. I hit it really fucking good because. Um, did you really? Did you really listen? Know? Oh, listen to this. Okay. So to get hired as a police officer, I was psychologically assessed by a psychologist. Oh, that's good. And to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they did that everywhere. So at that time, I had already competed in one fitness competition. And I had lost about a hundred pounds in total before getting into policing. And he really, really drilled me about why did you lose a hundred pounds? What's your relationship with your body? And, you know, I just kind of like crossed my hands and was all like prime and proper because I just wanted to become a cop. And I just said, oh, well, you know, I just wanted to lose weight because, you know, I don't want to have like a heart attack or diabetes 
you know, and I think he was really trying to dig to see if there was an eating disorder, but it didn't come up. There was no medical records of me having binge eating disorder at that time because I never sought um, professional help for it. Um, but deep down inside, I knew that I had binge eating disorder getting into policing. You're not going to find out Christine's secrets. I'm going to become a cop. Yeah, pretty much. And I did. I did it, right? So, yeah. Um, so how long did that go on? How long were you a cop? So I was an active officer for four and a half years. Um, I experienced some traumatic events early on in my career, and I really tried to work through them. And there was a period of time where I would go on the road, off the road, trying to deal with the trauma that came with some of my incidences. And being at such a young age, I realized that I couldn't do it for another 25 years. It just, I did it. I loved it. Um, I got a PTSD diagnosis from a work-related injury. And I knew that for my own safety and the safety of others, policing just wasn't going to be my long-term career. Um, at the time, it was hard for me to come to that um, acceptance. But now I'm very grateful that I had that experience and that it's not something I have to fight through working anymore. Yeah. And such self-awareness to know, you know, when you get to a place, us empaths, you feel others' problems and feel others' pain and suffering. And to know that if you're going to go through a lifetime of that, what's the purpose? Yeah. I feel like that's, that could be a whole another show is let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about the PTSD and what happened, but mm -hmm. we're not going to get into that. Um, unless you want to, do you want to talk about that? Are you feeling it? Um, and that, you know what, like my, my binge eating was pretty dormant for most of my policing experience, but when the trauma of policing and the horrific things that I've seen and experience, that's when the binge eating came to surface again, because that was only my ever coping mechanism in life. So when the boy on the playground bullied me and called me fat, how did I deal with it? I ate over it. Right. So when I started to get psychological treatment for my PTSD and it was very traumatic and doing exposure therapy, my binge eating started again. Mm. So it, um, it took me a long time to finally say, you know what, I have binge eating and I need to really work at this beast before I can go ahead and really treat the PTSD. Now, where are you at with that? Have you actively been treating the PTSD and dealing with the trauma? Yeah. So, you know what? I'm very blessed. Um, I've been seeing a uh, psychologist for some time now, and I'm at the point now where I can openly talk about the PTSD, the traumatic incident. It's been quite a few years since that incident. And now I feel like I'm getting to the point where I want to try to help other people through their traumas. What happened that you now at this point are experiencing PTSD and working through that? Um, so I was actually off duty at the time. It was a neighbor of mine who committed suicide um, with a shotgun and I ended up finding him in his home. And yeah, um, and I had another incident where I saved a 13 year old girl who tried to hang herself. So my policing years was a lot of suicides. So that seems to be my big trigger. Um, but I'm getting to the point now where I hear suicide and I still get that soccer punch in the gut, but I've learned how to deal with those emotions that come with it. And I don't binge eat over it anymore. And I don't over exercise over it either. I just 
let my body feel the sadness because let's be real suicide is a very heavy sad topic so the fact that like you know not too long ago i felt like i couldn't feel sadness over a suicide just blows my mind now because of the way that police officers are kind of trained you know you suck it up and you deal with it don't cry over it right i'm grateful that you shared the story because i'm sure that will help someone know Mm -hmm. they're not the only one going through this yeah And you are not binge eating or working out to deal with that PTSD. You have other tools in your toolbox. Yes, I do. Awesome. So now you decided workout, 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 (laughs) in and out, in and out. And this, what did you call that? You had a name for this. Addiction interactive disorder. Yeah. So while your life revolved around your fitness competitions, your eating disorder would act up and then you would just essentially switch. Yeah, literally. I could like be so hardcore at the gym and in dieting and training. And then when I fall off the wagon, I won't even go to the gym because I'm feeling way too fat and bloated and disgusted. So it's like I'm working out or I'm not working out. I'm dieting or I'm binge eating. So it's very that black and white thinking that's common with addicts, right? Yeah. So, so for you being in recovery now, what is, what's your day like? I mean, how do you balance not eating everything in the pantry or going to the gym for seven hours a day? Yeah, it is very, you know, this is where I see the silver lining in COVID actually. Um, Some people might want to like punch me in the face when I say this. Don't you dare punch her in the face. Good thing is (laughs) um, they have to stay six feet away. This is true, right? (laughs) Maybe my mask will protect me. Um, So, you know what? I can honestly say this. If it weren't for COVID and the shutting down of everything, I would probably still be very active in my fitness addiction. So the fact that I had started to get my binge eating under control before COVID, but I was still going to the gym every single day for two to three hours. I had to do it. So then when the gyms closed down back in March now, I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? And that was a real wake up call in my recovery. It was like, okay, the binge eating is getting under control. And that's when I realized fitness is just as unhealthy for me. So now how, and actually now that the gyms are back open here, I put my gym membership on hold on purpose until I am ready to go back into a gym environment where I know it can be healthy for me because I'm still too early on in my recovery. The minute I walk into that environment, hardcore Christine will be on. And I know that. So I look at movement and exercise as like medicine. So because it's summer, you know, I ride my bike, I go for hikes, um, light walking, some jogging, yoga. And to be quite honest, sometimes my hikes in nature have been just as good for my heart. Like I feel like my heart rate is getting up higher than it ever would doing weights. Mm. Yeah. So I've come to appreciate what I can do with my own body out in nature versus, you know, lifting X amount of weight in the gym. Yeah. And I, what's interesting to hear about that as well, I go back to the, it's, it's almost a parallel living experience with addiction and um, with your eating and with my drinking. And for you walking into a gym feels similar to me walking into a bar. 
100%. Like, why would you do that to yourself, right? Like, I, I don't really feel like drinking. I don't think I'm going to, but I've said this before. I love this saying. It's like, if you sit in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. That's an AA saying, isn't it? Is it? I think wow. so. So I don't, know if you, I don't know if you know this, but there's OA. Do you know what OA is? Overeaters Anonymous? Yes. That's how my recovery started. How come it's not OEA? That's a good point. I don't know. Okay. So you're, so when you start, you actually, that was your first, that was your foundation. for. Yeah. I, I was like, what am I going to do about this? I was actually seeing a psychologist at the time. My binge eating was getting worse. And I Googled Dr. Google binge eating, overeating. And then a local meeting happened to be held the next day. And I was like, this is the reality. I need to go get support. And I was in OA and I worked the steps. I had a sponsor. I did that for about six months. Okay. And then did it just was like, let's try something new. And well, you know, and it's not to bash any 12 step program. They um, have merit and they work differently for everybody. Sure. But the whole, um, the whole powerlessness thing mm-hmm. didn't, didn't work with me. You know, it did, yeah, like, you don't see, you don't seem to be the type that would openly try to admit that you are powerless over anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause you ride a motorcycle. <laughs> And I can shoot a gun, right? So oh my like God. crazy bitch. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I kept relapsing while I was in OA. And I'm like, why am I still binge eating and having these behaviors when this program is supposed to be saving me? Right. And then I got out of that mindset of that OA or AA or NA. It's not the only way to recover. And then that's when I discovered she recovers. And my recovery has gone through the roof since being a part of the She Recovers community. Yeah. And it's so comforting to be in a place where you realize that there's not one thing. Yes. I I feel you on that. And again, like you said, it is no, um, no discredit to any pathway by any means, but truly to have the opportunity to find other things that work for you. And so for me, the 12 steps was my, I mean, I was rigid. I like hundred percent, I did that. Um, but I always found it was just like, you see, I talk and I curse and I like, I can't be in a situation where you're going to tell me don't cross talk or, (laughs) or, you know, I'm going to get felt up the next time I get a chip because old man Joe decides he's in charge of the chips today. That's not okay. Yeah. I'm leaving there with other traumas. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I, I didn't like focusing just on the food because as you know, it's not just the food. It's not just the alcohol. It's the underlying issues. So I didn't like sitting, just talking about food and alcohol. I'm like, let's get to the nitty gritty about why I feel so shitty about myself. Right. Like, Can you guys please just peel that fucking onion and get to the middle? Cause I'm over all of this. Let yeah. Yeah. Know. Well, I'm so glad that you found, um, she recovers as your place because I wouldn't have met you otherwise. Mm-hmm. If that's the universe. Let's talk about, you want to talk about dating? Uh, sure. Ask me some questions. I'm, 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 I'm an open book. I just told you how I used to eat probably 10,000 calories in one sitting. So dating is absolutely, yeah, that's what binge eating is. It is, I, man, you know, I look back now and I was in so much shame and embarrassment and guilt, but now I almost wish I recorded if I had like a tape recording to prove what a binge looks like, how educational that would be for somebody because binge, binge eating is not a bag of chips. Okay. A bag of chips would be emotional eating. 
binge eating is 10,000 calories easily in one sitting. Stop it. No. Okay. I need in real life stats. Can you do that? Like if, if it's, if it's safe for you to just do a little diary on like, think of a bad binge day and. Oh, no, no. It, you know, it keeps me humble. It keeps me in that mindset that I am one binge away from a relapse. And that's like a part of me. It will never, ever die. So if I go back to the drawing board and I remember what binges looked like in the calories and the destruction to my body and my brain, I will gladly eat my vegetables and healthy protein and healthy fat because that caused so much chaos in my life that I will never ever go back there ever it's so helpful for someone who's not going through that or experiencing that to really get the good picture similar to people that have zero drinking problems and couldn't even think about the fact of having two bottles of wine in one sitting after you just had four martinis. Yeah. Because when you say that to me, I have a glass of wine and I'm pretty hammered because I'm not a drinker. So I'm like two bottles of wine. I would be in the emergency room. You're crazy lady. No, that was just dinner. (laughs) See? So it's how you look at calories. Like, oh my God, how did that small girl consume all those calories? That's how I view. How does someone consume all that alcohol, right? So dating in recovery. I I feel like (laughs) she's blushing. She's blushing. And I don't even know if we're talking about anyone specific, but what I'm interested in is we had a little pregame talk and you did say that you were in one serious relationship in your life. You're unmarried 35 year old woman. You've experienced eating disorder and fitness, body dysmorphia, uh, fitness addiction. I mean, a lot of shit. So you haven't really had time to dedicate to someone in a healthy way. And it sounds like you're there now. Walk us through a day in this a lot. Walk us through in the day. You can do it. Come on. (laughs) I'm getting there. (laughs) Walk us through a day in the life of a single woman living in recovery. You know what? In a pandemic. Wait, in a (laughs) pandemic. I love it. I wouldn't give it up for the world. I love my life today. I really do. I love it. And I'm not just saying that. Okay. So I'm on internet dating apps. Because let's face it, how am I going to meet somebody when we're all wearing masks? Teeth are very important to me. They really are. They should be to everyone. But you know what? And I can't make this shit up. There are some people, some men who post pictures on this internet app with a mask on. Shut your face. No. If Okay. I hope you're swiping in whatever direction means no. So um, dating during a pandemic while in recovery for an eating disorder. Oh gosh. I, I really need to write um, a novel on this. I think, I don't know. We might be onto something. I think you yeah. should. And then we could have, you could have like different chapters like they do back in the junior high school when you would have like chapter one and chapter two, yes. you know, the series of, instead of it being like Scooby-Doo series, <laughs> we're going to be like, Christine is dating. <laughs> What's so- next? Oh man. Douchebags with masked pictures. That's ridiculous. Oh, and then with like a filter with like bunny ears on top of it. (laughs) Snapchat. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to my world. Oh, I'm going to show you pictures and you will not believe it. I am not believing it now. Yeah. Okay. So I have a hit, like I've done internet dating 
years and years and years ago, right? So I'm not going to say I'm a professional at it, but what I've learned, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm a professional at it now. Um, Can I just blow your ears out with my laugh? Sorry. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> so what I've learned is it's kind of like a job. When you want to get a good job, you got to put the time and effort to get that healthy job for yourself. Right. So recently when I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw myself out there and see what happens. My, I put a lot of, um, love and effort into my profile because I was like, if I just put, hi, I'm Christine. And I like to go for a walk with my puppy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Who am I going to attract, right? All right. I'm Christine and I ride a motorcycle. Yeah. Oh, I do have a picture of me and my motorcycle on there. So, yeah. That's your life. Because I want to manifest. I want to manifest a man who might ride a motorcycle. Hello. So for the men that are listening right now and that maybe their ears have perked up because they don't have profile pictures with masks because we're throwing (laughs) you're not in the mix. Um, So you would prefer to ride with someone alongside of each other on your motorcycles versus being on the back of someone's bike and like holding him tight and letting him. Uh, That is against my religion now. I will knock it on the back of someone's bike when I have my own bike. Is that not true? Oh, yeah. Now that could be my control problem. I like to, I like to be in control. (laughs) Okay. What if it was like the rock? I would want to just squeeze on some of that. Okay. If it was the rock or Vin Diesel, I would make an exception. Vin Diesel. Diesel. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's the thing. Okay. So so what I'm hearing is no mask profile pictures, no doggy ears from Snapchat. And um, he has to ride his own bike and we'll ride together okay you know what like he doesn't have to ride a motorcycle that's like a che- that's like a cherry on top but so now are we gonna opposite this will you ride him on your bike hell no no <laughs> no. no 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 yeah okay so I'm, I'm making- <laughs> yeah no shit Yeah. And you know what the most amazing thing is, is I have met some amazing men. They might not be my husband and that's okay. Each time, this is what dating in recovery means to me. It's not necessarily meeting my husband or my next boyfriend or anything like that. It's what can I learn from this man? What can I take away from him? What can I learn about myself? And each date that I've had recently, and when I say date, it's like we're going for a hike or we're going for a walk by the lake. I did do one restaurant date on a patio, which was really nice. And A, he rides a motorcycle. So we rode our motorcycles together to the restaurant. Yeah, so that was like pretty exciting. But um, I'm just learning that um, I don't put so much pressure on myself because if I put too much pressure on myself in dating, I could just end up right back in the food. And that to me is just not worth it. And I'm at the point now where I date myself. I love going on dates with myself. So, you know, if I don't have a date with a man or if I'm not seeing somebody, I'm okay going for a hike with myself, going for coffee with myself, going for my own motorcycle ride. And that's what recovery is for me. For a very long time, I think I struggled with being alone. And I think a lot of people do, but that's why I'm like, 
oh, if a man's going to ghost me or if he's not into me, that's okay. He's not the right one for me. Yes. Oh, I love it. That's such a mature and um, pure, right? I can imagine just everything that you've talked about you going through that you probably have to go in such an insecure yes. mind F every night wondering why he didn't call, why he didn't text. And I don't know that if that's just like what we have to do to get through to where we are now. Yeah. You don't, dude, you don't want to call me back then. Don't call me back. Yeah. I got yeah. a movie to go to. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we'll see. I, I just keep a very open heart, an open heart with dating, no expectations. And I know the right man is out there for me. Maybe I've met him already. Maybe I haven't. I don't know, but he's out there. Well, if we really want to share, we, you could share your profile if you want to put it out there for anyone listening, if they want to meet Christine on the dating apps, or do we want to keep that private? Um, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> She's being mysterious. Yes, that's my middle she name. She doesn't want any fucking stalkers, so you're not going to get her. Back off. And <laughs> <laughs> Don't put a mask on your profile picture, dumbass. Yes. Oh, there's a lot of them. Okay, come on. I cannot make this shit up. I can't That's do not it. even clever. Like, if this is the problem with that. And you know what? Fine, hide your face, whatever. But for someone to purposefully do that, they think they're clever and that is funny and it's not. And listen, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but if I did just offend you, you should be offended because that's stupid. <laughs> Fucking mask on a profile picture. Oh yeah. Okay. If you can imagine, um, that's the end of it. I have one question for you that I ask all of my guests. If you had the opportunity to have a dinner guest, anyone living or dead, who would it be? Hmm. And why? You know what? It would have to be two people. Oh, okay. So yeah. we're changing up my question. Okay. And then this is my control. <laughs> why don't you know, just go get your own podcast and ask the two questions? <laughs> but you'll understand why. You'll understand why with my explanation. Okay. So in my recovery, I actually learned that one of my grandfathers went to AA and got sober and lived a recovery life. So I never knew my grandpa as an alcoholic. And can you imagine the conversations that I might be able to have with my grandfather now if he was still alive? Like I just, when I found that out, I didn't, A, I didn't even know that he struggled with alcohol, but that he went to, like the, he went to AA and got sober and it worked for him, like amazing. So he would be my number one. And then my number two guest would be my biological aunt, who was also my godmother. Um, I believe she died when I was 10 years old. And I do believe that she had her struggles with mental health. And I would just like to go back and just say, like, just get to know her because everyone in my family has said that um, I'm a splitting image of her, um, some personality traits, lifestyle. So I would love to go back and really know her yeah. because I feel like she's like a part of me as, as creepy or as weird as that may sound, but, um, we do look alike. So it would be my aunt and my grandpa because of that connection. I think we all have to the mental health, whether it's alcohol, food, drugs, who knows, but we just all have that connection in the family. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll allow it. You get to okay. control this. You okay. Thank you. That question. Yeah. Yeah. I am so happy that you said yes and that we got through this. And I hope you feel good. Yes. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome. Thank you for mm -hmm. coming. Thank you for being on the show. You heard it here first, Christine Doe. Did I say it? There's a do. Fuck, I already messed it up. Okay, you heard it here first, Christine Dubrocky. Oh, you fucked it up. I did uh, say you it. Do, dodo bird, as in Dobrocky. What did I say? Do. It's not do. Because I wrote do instead of doe. Yeah, doe. Do, dear. Okay. Christine Dobrocky, that was amazing. Thank you so much for all of your stories and your openness and your everything. And I can't wait to squeeze you in real life. Thank you, Laurie. I appreciate it. All right, listeners, we'll see you next time or you'll hear us next time or I don't know, whatever the fuck we say at the end of this podcast. Bye. That was such a fun show. I'm so glad that I got to have Christine on and share her story. Because we have so much fun, we have something super cool that we've never done before, which is the after show. Yes, we had such great conversation. I didn't want to cut it and it didn't really fit naturally into the interview. So right after me telling you about this, you're going to hear a little bit of the after show of Christine and I just chilling and having a little chit chat. I hope you enjoyed both parts of this episode. If for some reason you only heard this part two, make sure you go back onto wherever you're listening to this podcast and hit the previous episode and you'll hear part one. Of course, while you're there, you might as well hit the subscribe button because you know that just helps me and I'm here helping you. So let's help each other. All right, on to the after show. Enjoy. <laughs> you did it. That was awesome. Right? Yeah. Easy. Not as bad as I had thought because you never know what's going to come. You don't know what's going to come. You just go with the flow. I think that's what I told you. And I think that what is, um, you know, I, on the opposite end of what you're experiencing as a guest, when I first started this, I was very much about what questions I was going to ask and make sure that we hit this. And um, I could tell the more I worked myself up about it, the less interesting it really was. And I think what the draw so far with the feedback that I've received about the podcast is that it's so natural and real. Yeah. So to be able to have that conversation, and again, we might not have, you know, talked about everything that we wanted to. You may have said some things that you're like, wow, I didn't realize that was in me. And um, you're going to shit your pants when you hear it all put together and be like, I'm so fucking smart. Um <laughs> And you're going to be helping so many people. You know what I like about you, Lori, is though, because I think when I was overweight, and I think a lot of overweight people handle stress is with humor. If you look at a lot of comedians, you know what I mean? Like Chris They're all Farley, fucked up. Like Chris, Chris Farley, like look how big he was and he had drugs, but look how funny he was, right? Mm -hmm. So today when I was like riding my motorcycle, I'm like, I hope that there's an element of humor because that calms me down. I've always kind of been that class clown because that was how I yeah, dealt yeah. with things. So some of the humor, like, you know, the fact that I mentioned people wear fucking masks on a, on a dating app, but I'm sure there's going sure to be people listening to that fucking laughing about it. But the reality is that's what's going on. They will be. And that's the thing is it is reality. I think most people, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people, and especially people that I tend to attract deal with recovery with humor and, and that's what I'm trying to do, right? Because I'm the same way and it's not even, it's just me. It's been my life. And like you said, overeating when I was young, I was an under eater. I remember like, oh my God, which is so crazy. I was like five, seven when I was in like fifth grade, Yeah, but I was a beanpole and I still thought I was large, you know, and I, yeah. 
luckily I didn't get into, you know, the craziness of it. Um, you know, I think I did one day of eating two oranges and then I was like, wow, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, I think that being able to humanize what we're all going through, being able to have a decent conversation without it being so serious because we have enough of that. Yeah. And even, you know, my questioning about the specific disorders and, you know, I'm not, I obviously don't know the medical terms and the disease factors and the clinical diagnoses, but this is what I'm a real person. I've heard the word bulimia before. I've heard the term anorexia before. Like, what are we talking about here? And so if we just have a general street version of what we think it is, then we're educating somebody, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people go, I bet you any money, a lot of people think bulimia is just eating and throwing up. It's exactly what I thought. And, you know, and I think majority of society thinks that they don't think about the exercising, the laxatives, the water pills. And there's probably other things that I don't even know about that people are doing. You said it perfectly. And I'm so glad. Like, I love that um, you use this term. I will never forget it. You like the peas, plump and purging. Um, But you said purge. And I was like, that makes perfect sense because that's what you're doing if you're forcing yourself to vomit. But there are clearly other things that people are doing in that capacity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which I think you hear about, like, I've heard about that, but it's just not something that sticks with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And which is interesting is I, the more I hear about this too, and other people's stories, which is why I'm so happy that you're sharing yours, it will bring stuff out in other people to explore. So for me, my stepfather, so I think he, my parents, he's my stepdad now. Um, I, I want to say probably junior high school, maybe fifth grade even. So it might've been the end of my elementary school. He was tea tiny, like skinny guy, but he was totally into drugs too. He was like a Coke addict. Um, he turned his addiction. He stopped Coke, traded his addiction for food. And we used to hear him, we would sit at the dinner table and would hear him vomiting in the bathroom. And for years that happened. I mean, our whole life really. And my mom always just, which is another story, but it was always conversation about him just not feeling well, or, you know, the spaghetti spaghetti sauce had a lot of acid in it, or it took me till my adult years, not living there and, and understanding the mental part of it and realizing, wow, he's been so fucked up for so long. Yeah. He refuses to get help for it literally wants to die just as like, I wish I could just die and get it over with. And it's yeah. the saddest thing. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting because if you're open to learning and hearing other people's stories, which is what my goal is, is to get the word out that again, recovery is not just about um, substance use and alcohol use disorder. It's about mm-hmm. everything. and to hear other people's stories and to be able to liken them to you. I mean, it humanizes it, right? If you know, when I talked with Taryn and the fact that she used to do, um, I can't even think of it. It's not heroin. It's the other one. Cocaine? No, no, it's like a really hard one. Why can't I think of meth? Oh, meth. Yeah. <laughs> even the, that's what Amy Dresner told me. She's like, even us crack addicts think that the meth people are fucking crazy. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it humanizes and our stories are, are so parallel when she talks about meth and that she, and I'm like, I would never in my life do that. Well, yeah, my neighbor would probably never in their life, like open two bottles of wine and drink that before your husband came home either. Right. Like, yeah, I love to be able to liking our stories to other people's experience because it just makes that stigma go down and down and down. And, and, and hopefully someday it's all the same. Yeah. And we can just love everybody. 
maybe one day, maybe one day people will be like, oh yeah, I fucking binge. Like it, maybe it will just be a part of like everyday vocabulary and then it won't become such a mental distressing disorder. Can you imagine if the normalcy of these disorders were the same as actually drinking and smoking weed? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like the normalcy of walking into a grocery store and there being seven aisles of alcohol? <laughs> like yeah. that's normal. You know, any event that I go to with my husband and I'm literally being offered alcohol before I walk in the door, like, hey, we're going to have a champagne before we sit down and have your bottles of wine at the table. It's like, why is this normal for everybody? Yeah. Why is it yeah. normal that we're drinking at lunchtime? Like, yeah. why is this normal? Yeah. Why can't us talking about this be normal? Yeah. 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 Well, we'll save the world one person at a time. Yeah. No shit. But yeah, recovery life. I just can't. And you know, and it's a year ago, if you told me I would be sitting here having this conversation, I would be like, you're crazy. Like, there's no way I'm going to relapse and start binge eating again. But here I am, right? Here you are. Uh, mm-hmm. You're doing such amazing things and being so active in writing and sharing that with the community of She Recovers is amazing because that's helping. There are so many women that are so raw and vulnerable right now that just don't even, I mean, you could tell when they get on the calls, they're just doe-eyed, like fucking, what do I do today? Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, So it's, I think it's nice for them to see, you know, and get used to people consistently being there and telling their stories, regardless yeah. of how put together you are. It's yeah. it's great. And and you've helped me a lot. And that's why I've reached out and asked you to be on the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfell, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.